Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This show is an encore presentation of the Faith Middleton Fuchmoos. Hope you enjoy this second helping. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, the place to have a good time. All right, what fun we have in store for you on this show. Are you afraid to cook beef tenderloin on the grill? You're not alone, but you won't be after we tell you how, and then you can whip up Chris Prosperi's delicious sour cream horseradish sauce for that tenderloin in 90 seconds. Don't put that grill away just yet. If you've never tried a split head of romaine lettuce on the grill, we are rooting for you. It's so good. We're going to tell you how simple it is to do it. And how about something more tasty than chicken over salad? The easiest cast iron skillet duck breast you can make with a crispy skin and the way to make the fat disappear. The perfect summer cocktail and fresh blueberry cobbler. Very light because it's made with pancake batter and you make it in seven minutes. All that coming your way. Okay, my treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, and Anthony DeSario, Connecticut bartender. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, Faith. All right, we need a little bit of a summer mood bath. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh. Ah, summertime. <laughs> oh. Isn't that good? It just is, isn't Simply it? Simply the best. <laughs> so good. I think we should go to cocktails. I think we should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Anthony DeSario, our resident yeah. cocktail guy, Connecticut bartender. Thank yeah. you so much for Always. being with us. Yeah, beating so, the heat today. Yeah. So you've got this Prosecco Gone Wild. This yes. is on our website at foodschmooze.org. Prosecco gone wild. Yeah, I like to make the easiest cocktails possible when it's hot out there like this. Just simple one-to-ones. You know, everybody's doing gin and tonics, rum and cokes out there on their boats and whatnot. Mm. And but I am just my guilty pleasure in the summer is prosecco. Just really love that white peach and pear and. So we've got some sparkling Prosecco. We're using a syrup that comes from the Wild Hibiscus Flower Company. You can get that online. It's uh, edible hibiscus flowers and syrup, and we're using the syrup as our simple syrup. So it's already made for you in the jar. Can you drop one of the flowers in? Yeah, 50 flowers per every jar, and it's got like the consistency of a grapefruit roll-up, and you can eat it. It makes a beautiful garnish. Drop it in your champagne glass. It makes a great wedding cocktail presentation, Mm. and it's simple. It's just a great way to start a party. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a great opener. Right, so so I, just did, uh, I just did about a half an ounce, depending on your Prosecco, how sweet it is. This is a little on the drier side. Did a little bit of the syrup that's in the jar. We have the recipe online. And the recipe's online. And just top that right off so, in your champagne flute with uh, some nice Prosecco. Top and it, and just, that's it. And that's it. And, and you just put drop that... your flour right in there, and we're good to go. Just cheers. It's as simple as that. So cheers to oh, that. Delicious. Getting ready for uh, next week to serve a few of these down in NOLA. I'm going to pass a few of these I'm, around. Mm, mm. Mm. People, that is the way to go. Drink of the, the summer. summer. It's, it's nice. It's summer. sweet. You know, Ice it's, it's a different type of a fruit. 
What is it about the effervescence this time of year that feels so good? I think it really just kind of holds on to some of that coldness from the ice, helps chill things down, keeps a little bit of the air moving around in the glass. There's something so festive about Mm -hmm. the bubbles, number one. Number two, it's so easy to make us a cocktail. Yeah, That's everyone what has I love. Prosecco now, right? I mean, yeah. just get the hibiscus stuff. Well, Chris, beautiful at, color. At, at, yeah, it's at a Metro beautiful Beast, rose color. You can mm. see how often people order Prosecco versus yeah. champagne. Champagne now. It seems to be the it's, bubble of choice this summer, right? I think champagne is more elegant well, events. Uh, the, more the intense big, bubble, right? Yes. Champagne's nuttier and yeastier. Toastier. Prosecco's yes. fruitier, cleaner. Prosecco's also more fun, right? It's more like laid back, it's backyard. Not yeah. It's not yeah. expensive. Yeah. I mean, you can put hibiscus or whatever in it. And it's oh, not sure. so, right? By the way, Alex, if you want to substitute a Spanish cava, which Great is idea. the Spanish version yes, of Prosecco, absolutely. you can do that too. Sure. And it's eight, nine dollars nope. a bottle. <laughs> cava so. will be next summer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just. Yeah. So anyway, the recipe is online at Food Schmooze, like school, S C H, foodschmooze.org, and the link to get that hibiscus syrup. Thank you so much, oh, Anthony Desario, for that. That was a quick one. No, no cooking necessary, no simple syrups that we have to make. So oh, I just, know. This is simple. I could easy. do one to one. I like work. that. Well, we don't want to get too elaborate in the summer. So, and even if you had an elaborate party, this would match. To see that hibiscus yeah. flower floating in there, and I'm waiting to... for it to turn into something, the hibiscus, you drop it in, and all of a sudden, like Godzilla Japanese comes out. Fireworks. <laughs> okay, so um, here is some food news involving outer space. We are about a month away from finding out the result of an experiment that Suntory Whiskey has been conducting. Oh. They sent their whiskey up to the International Space Station to see if zero gravity helps age the whiskey. And now I'm going to shun mm. zero gravity is what I've decided. I'm going with no on that one. That's... You think? Yeah. Why do you say that? Well, because uh, usually when you're in your rack house and you know when you're making your whiskey and it's in the barrel aging, you want some hot and cold. You want that barrel to expand and to contract because it's kind of like working as a sponge. When it gets warm and the barrel expands... It's sucking in some of that whiskey that's been sitting in the barrel as it's, like it's aging. Breathing almost. And then when it contracts, it's squeezing it back mm. out again. So I don't really know if you're going to get those full-on oak flavors or that charred barrel flavor that's going to be it, coming out of there. It'll be it interesting to see. Do they bring up a barrel? I would hope so. <laughs> I don't have no idea. Is the satellite filled with yeah. like whiskey barrels? I, I, was, and it, and I would just... It, is it empty already? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It worked. It, it's it, fine. It completely <laughs> evaporated. Can, can bring us some of the... Houston, we're totally fine. Oh, Houston. So I'm an astronaut. I'm sitting at the meeting. I'm an astronaut. This is my turn. I get to choose an experiment. I'm the guy who says, let's bring the whiskey up there to see how it ages. In In quotes. In quotes. <laughs> well, you know, talk about space debris. You know, watch out for the whiskey barrels. Nice. You're hinting that this could be PR connected, although I am not an expert on zero gravity. I am more science. than willing to try a sample, and we can talk about it here on the oh, show. I tend to and, think and, and, and. that these bottles are going to. Yeah say, you know, in space, from outer space directly to you. So anyway, we're about to find out what happened with that experiment. I'm dying. This is a little bit backwards on the show because we're going to talk about Chris's phenomenal herb-crusted tenderloin on the grill. We're going to tell you how to grill lettuce, how amazing, how to do duck breast over salad greens. It's so much better than chicken. But first, a little bit backwards because these fresh berries right now are so great. We've mentioned this Mm. before, but 
This is a seven-minute blueberry cobbler, and it's so light and amazing because it is made with what is essentially a pancake batter, not the typical dough. And it's the reverse. It's like a reverse cobbler because instead of the fruit on the bottom and the biscuit dough on the top, we have in this recipe the whole thing reversed. This is David Joachim. He's author of Global Kitchen, and he uses something like pancake batter, and that goes on the bottom of the pan, and the fruit is strewn across the top. It takes you seven minutes to put this together. Into the oven it goes, and that pancake batter rises up around mm. the blueberries. Oh, okay. awesome. It's depending on how chock full you want it. Mm. It is this blueberry rich thing. He's oh. my favorite author of all time. Anything really? he makes is the best. Come on, his book uh, is world known. His first book is the best cookbook on the planet. It's I called think... A Man, a Can, and a Plan. And it's <laughs> it's one of those children <laughs> hard cardboard stock. If you have a guy you're buying me to buy a cookbook for, that's the one. <laughs> it's sure. it's in my most prized cookbook position on my shelf. Right next to the crack box. <laughs> Seven minute blueberry cobbler, and it's made with a pancake batter essentially. Genius. Really, really smart. Chris, I cannot wait to get to your herb-crusted tenderloin of beef mm. on the grill. Yeah, it's that time of year, right? Yeah. I never do this. I would never grill tenderloin. I'm one of those people who's a little bit intimidated. That's the one thing, isn't it? You've yeah. made me see how easy this is. Okay. It's not hard. People get intimidated because it is a little more on the pricier side of beef, but it is so easy to cook. Really, there's nothing to it. Well, walk us through. You go right. to the butcher go to or, the butcher. Or, the, and, and, or the supermarket. Or go to the supermarket. I like going to a place that has a butcher. They'll cut it up for you and they'll trim it and they'll get it ready. So basically you're taking this tenderloin home and it is ready for the grill. And I use a spice well, and what herb are they mixer. doing to it to make They're it trimming ready? it and cleaning it. What Just are they take, cleaning it up? There's a little fat on the outside, a little silver skin. You can do that at home, but it gets messy, and I like having them do it. It's just Good. so much okay, easier. Okay, so you go to a butcher. Butcher or a supermarket where market. you can buy it already cleaned. And I usually say it's somewhere around two to three pounds or four-pound piece is good. And then you take that, and I take a herb and salt and, and pepper mixture. This is online. Yeah. Your home it's mixture. simple. It's but parsley. Thyme. Yep, rosemary. Uh, ground pepper, salt, yep. and yeah. some oil. Yeah, and that's it. So you make that yeah. mix? And then you basically take the tenderloin and you kind of roll it in it. And you, you got a ton with... on. It was Yeah, a and, but this is the thing. You take it and you roll it on there. And then I let it sit and I get my grill going. And again, I like that time in the beginning to get it up to room temperature is a pretty important step. I will do that first. Then I'll get my grill going. So it's sort of sitting in the bowl or on the plate with that herb mixture. And then every once in a while, I just go and I roll it again. And the more you roll it, the more of this stuff that mm. sort of cakes on there because some of that's going to fall through and come off. So mm. the more you get on there, the more that's going to mm. stay on there mm. towards the end. And we're doing it because we want a crust on this We thing. want a crust yeah. on this thing. And then this goes into that kind of slow cooking, hot cooking. Where do you cook on your grill? So what I like to do that's is – That's what makes me nervous. OK. So it's very simple. If you have a gas grill, you have a couple burners running through it. Two or three. So if they're going horizontally, I like to get the back one on high. Get that one cranking. And then stage them down a little bit towards the front. So the middle one is going to be on a low, medium low. And then the one in the front doesn't even have to be on. So close one strip high, grill. one strip yeah. medium. Yeah. And then close the lid. Preheat the grill. And basically. keep rolling. Yeah. yeah. And keep rolling. And you can okay. do other things and get your salad together or whatever. And then once your grill gets hot and you start it on that back part. 
You'll even you hear want the, the parsley on the back. Yeah, on the hottest spot. And you'll even hear the parsley start sizzling a little bit. And it'll start charring up a little bit. And I'll leave it on there just for a minute or two. And then I'll keep turning it. And once I get that to a nice. You don't do. Is it burned? No, is it it's burned? not. It's just got a little bit of char in places. And uh, you can start seeing that. So do you go all the way around? Yeah, go all the way around and get it nice and charred all the way around. And then I move it to the front of the grill where it's a little cooler. And you can put the lid down. And every once in a while, I turn it. Is it now over the medium flame? It's over the one that's off, a little off the one that's medium, right? So oh, it's in a nice okay. cool place, but you have the lid down, so it's almost like a convection oven kind of thing going on. And you're going to keep turning it every two to three minutes or so. With the lid closed? With the lid now? closed. And this is the key, and I can't stress this enough to people. We don't cheat in a kitchen when we do things like this. I have a thermometer, yes. and I buy a fancy one now that's even digital. And these things are the best things. If you are worried or afraid of cooking beef, especially a piece like this, you can't mess up if you have one of these. And it's simple. Right into the middle – I like 125 for a like mid-rare, rare range, right? So once it hits 125 in the center, I take that piece of tenderloin off and I put it on a plate and I let it rest for at least 20 minutes. I know that sounds insane. Well, it's but still cooking, right? It's not so much cooking, but the juices are redistributing it. And you saw when we sliced this thing a little mm-hmm. while ago mm-hmm. how it's medium rare rare all the way through to the outer edges, right? It is, yeah. Perfect. It's a beautiful color. Perfect. And that is in the slow – like cooking it on that slower part and the fact that we oh. let it rest. And the one we did – I know this sounds crazy. We let that one rest for almost 45 minutes to the point where it cooled down. And right before we served it, you could put it right back on the grill or put it – if you're inside – put it in the oven just to give it some warmth all the way through again. So this is Chris Raspberry's Herb Grilled Tenderloin of Beef. It's grilled right on your gas grill. Yeah. And I suppose you could do it on charcoal. That yeah. makes me a little bit more nervous because I'd be saying, where's my charcoal? What, you know, where's, how do I move it over to the side and all that? So uh, for me, gas grill, easier for something mm-hmm. like this. He's got that herb crust on the outside, so the thing gets a nice crusty char on it. Then there's this horseradish sour cream sauce that takes 90 – I tested the 90 seconds to make this. Yeah. And a lot of ingredients. Yeah. There's like two – what is it? Three ingredients. Yeah. Worcestershire sauce, yeah. sour cream, yeah. and a jar of prepared horseradish. Yeah. And I'm you not can put a little gonna, black pepper in it if, if you want. want. Okay. Yeah. And so you just go stir, <laughs> stir, 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 stir. And that's it. And that's it. The recipe for that is online, yeah. too. It is so good. We cut up this thing, and we had it on sandwiches. Oh, oh my gosh. Grinder rolls. Oh. Grinder rolls. Oh. <laughs> it was yeah. so good. But if you could do it any way. On top of salad. Top you know what? I think greens. if I were to salad, do this, yeah. I would do what you're going to come up with in a little bit in that romaine. You, yes. Yeah. I would totally oh, yeah. do that. Romaine. So you've got together. the back of the grill still hot. Uh-huh. And while you're cooking your tenderloin turning it, this would be a perfect pairing. You do the romaine lettuce and the tenderloin. You drizzle that. That sauce right on top, it would be a heavenly dish. We have a great picture of the tenderloin as well on the website, so you can actually see what your crust looks like. Is, is this something that you can do on the boat? Because remember, we were talking last yeah. year about what everybody was cooking on the boat. This yeah. is an easy thing to do in all kinds of situations, so keep this in mind. I was so nervous about doing this. I don't know why. I could cook a steak on the grill. Same. Why am I nervous about yeah. this? I was afraid about, would it cook all the way through? How will I know? I've got to cut into it. What kind of heat should I 
I use, and you're saying stick it with your digital thermometer. Or even if it's and, not digital, but that's how you – it's a tool. You have to have it. They're cheap. You can get them in like the kitchen supply store, the non-digital ones for like a couple bucks. And how easy is this in terms of preparing? That's what I love about this time of year. If I was planning a backyard barbecue, I would have this sitting on that platter resting way before anyone – With the crust. Even, with or, the crust. No, yo, Cooked. 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 Done. Just done and resting. Ready to go. As soon as people got there, you could start slicing. So or room even... temperature service, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah. But you don't want to okay. see people have people watch you roll this thing and you could, cook but then it, it takes and you smoke out of the, coming it, out. It t- put the romaine lettuce on for that. Well, if yeah. you, That's if a you minute, want, right? the, <laughs> I guess if you want the theater involved, you could do it anyway. Being dramatic. I just, enjoy, I, no, I just want to enjoy my people anyway. All right, I'm with Alex Province and uh, Chris Prosperi, Anthony Desario. Thank you to our senior producer, Robin Doyen Aiken, and we thank you for listening. We're going to talk now about how to grill lettuce the easy way. A lot of people will say, grilled lettuce? That yes. sounds boring. You mean chopped up lettuce on the grill? No. no. This is the greatest thing. Until you've tried it, you just say, why was I not doing this before? <laughs> right? So take a head of, say, romaine. Yep. Yeah. And you split it in half horizontally. So you've got two long halves of the romaine. And then a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of balsamic vinegar on this thing. It's washed, obviously. On the cut side or both sides or all over? All over over it, sure. And then on the grill, it goes. And you just want to wait until it starts to get these little charred places on it. Flip it over, the same on the reverse, and you are good to go. If you want to drizzle a little more salt and pepper and a little more balsamic or vinaigrette on top of it, you can when you serve it. Great little smoky flavor, too. There's a way to make this Caesar. So if you make up a little Caesar dressing, you can drizzle that on at the end. You know, you can really play with it. So how are you serving this thing? Giving each person a half a romaine? So there are different ways to do this. You can give everybody either a quarter or a half of romaine, depending on what you want to do. Another way to do this is to not just grill romaine, but to grill endive and radicchio all at once. And when they're all done and they've got that nice charred thing, right, Chris? Chop it. it Chop and then throw it. In a yeah. bowl and toss it. Throw it in a bowl mm. with whatever. People won't extra even know dressing. it. Yeah, they'll be blown away. You I've sh- done it like that, where people are just sh- like it, shock and awe over yeah. what they're eating. They can't even wrap their head around that we actually grilled it right before we served it. Wow. Them. What's the yeah. actual cooking time on that? Because I've I've actually seen minutes. it served and I served because yeah. some people minutes. are like, you know, if I leave it on it too long, it's going to wilt and get soggy and just. You want it to oh. wilt just a teeniest bit. You can't help it from wilting yeah, right. a bit because it it's on just heat. a teeny bit, but that's it. Just just to get the char. That's but why the, you want it on high yes yeah, that's right right that's exactly very it. hot grill for this i have a huge wooden bowl i would take a clove of garlic and rub the inside of this wooden bowl like my oh. mom does and then throw everything in and toss oh, it around now you're infusing it with now, garlic yeah. oh that is very good Okay, so that's how to do lettuce. You could do all three lettuces if you want and chop them up. I think it's the equivalent of what happens when you put corn into a salad, but you've charred the corn first oh, yeah. on the grill or on your stovetop. It has a char a on it. And it right. We have, this is what I call move over chicken. <laughs> Sliced duck breast is in town. 
I think duck breast is so much more delicious oh, yeah. than mm, chicken, yes. and we don't think to do it in yep. the summer so much. And wow, is this good over greens or sitting on the plate, maybe with that grilled grill, lettuce, grill, whatever yeah, you want to do. Yeah, I was going to say with that grilled salad. So we're yeah. going to get to that. We have more mouthwatering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. We're online right now at foodschmooze.org. We hope you'll visit us on Facebook. Search Faith Middleton Food Schmooze and like us when you're there. We'd love to talk with you. We'll be right back. I live my day as if it was the last. Live my day as if there was no past. off my shades. All right, we have a free podcast for you, meaning you'll never miss a drop of pleasure. It's our show podcast. Now, all you do is sign up for it once at our site, and we will automatically send you our show every week so you can listen on your schedule. I think that's how a lot of us do it now. Also, discover our delicious curated food, wine, events, cocktail recommendations. We love talking with you, so stop by often and say hi to us at the site. We are always online at foodschmooze.org. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province of Hartford, and Anthony Desario, our cocktail guy of Branford, Connecticut. Thank you all for being here. Lucky me to be with these. Lucky with these us. Folks. Yes. No, uh, lucky me for. I love you more. Is what, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, we have lots of great things ahead for you. This thing about how to do a duck breast and then slice it and put it over greens so much better than chicken. Yeah. Okay, agreed, Chris. Oh, how yeah. easy I this love is. Duck I love, I love duck. And I was thinking as you were saying that earlier. Why don't we do it more often? It's in the supermarket. Yeah, but the supermarkets carry it. I see it when I'm walking up and down the aisles. You know, the meat aisle at the back. I see duck and duck breast. And I'm just afraid I'm going to screw it up. See, so it's like the tenderloin. Like the tenderloin. So here's the easiest way I know to do this. I don't do it on the grill because there tends to be a lot of smoke, and I've got a water bottle and fire. (laughs) What kind of grilling are you doing? (laughs) So I just do it on a cast iron skillet, and I'm going to tell you how to defat a duck breast so. All you've got is this crispiness of the skin, and most of the fat has drained away, right? This is so easy. So easy. And you're not doing a whole duck. We're just doing yeah. the breast. And you Sometimes can buy them. The they leg. come in a little package. Yeah, how do they come? One or two per package. And yeah. again, simple. It's a little trimmed, too, so there's not much you need to do. Chicken, you cook it until it's opaque, right? Until the juices don't run red. But duck cooks slightly differently. Well, than... here, that's why I'm no, going to give you a trick. Gonna, yeah, okay. We're going to finish the recipe I need here. a trick. All right, so... 
um, this isn't a cast iron skillet because it's so easy. Put the skillet on the stovetop. With the hood roaring, right? No, what? Just oh, put wait, it on. Because no, here you go. We're not going to do what, what we normally do. So, just a regular cold skillet on yeah. with maybe a tablespoon of olive oil. The recipe for this yeah. is online at foodschmooze.org. And so, you don't have to write this down. A little bit of olive oil in there. Put the duck breasts right into the skillet cold like that. Yep. Skin side down. Now, before you down. put them down, score the skin with a knife in a crosshatch pattern. Yep. Try not to hit into the meat. But if you do, oh, so what? Just make a crosshatch pattern because that's going to release the fat. And it makes it look pretty. And it looks pretty, but it really <laughs> play, is. Play tic-tac-toe. Yep. Yeah. It's to release the fat. Yeah. So, Get it going. And we're on medium heat, okay. and you let it sit there until you'll see the fat draining off. There's not a whole mess of smoke. You'll see it coming off, and we are waiting until that skin gets crispy. So it sounds like you're cooking bacon. Same it's idea. exactly well, like that. And I can't tell you how many people I've heard, they're worried about cooking duck. That's one of the reasons. They put the duck breast into a hot pan like you would do chicken. And then, and then it, it scorches. And it scorches and burns, and the fat is like a half inch thick. So, uh, and you way, didn't render it out, and that's what Faith is doing here. She's actually starting in that cold pan and letting it come up to temperature with that little bit of oil. What that does is that releases the fat before it starts searing, and it renders You're saving it out. that fat, too, I hope. Oh, you bet. <laughs> so here we go. When you peek under there and you see that it is the gorgeous golden color, oh, like the a, way fried oh, yeah. chicken gets, yeah. mm. and there's fat in the pan— the thing to do is flip the duck breast over for just a couple of minutes, and you're going to kind of sear the other side. Okay. Now, we're going to pour off the fat in some kind of container. Let it sit there and cool, and later on, we're going to freeze that fat and use it for maybe fried potatoes Ooh, later on. Green beans. But, and so now you've got the duck breast. It's been done on both sides. It's in that skillet. Guess what we're going to do? It's going into a preheated oven for 10 minutes. It cooks through to the perfect temperature. You are done. Then you just take it out. You let it rest there for about 10 minutes. Right, Chris? Slice it nice and thin. Put it over greens. Heaven. Yeah, put it over whatever you want or put it next to your grilled lettuce or serve it with anything you want. It's more robust than chicken, right? It has a more flavor. Yeah, Mm. heartier flavor. Oh, delicious. It's like a cross between Mm -hmm. steak to me and something else. All I can think of is Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. Noir. With a little chill on it. Mm. I was just thinking that, right? Like like Alex does with that teeny, not ice cold, but just a little bit of chill on it. Fridge for 10 minutes? Yeah. That's it. I do that now in the summer. Well, you do? I do with it's all. So it's funny better. because I do it all. All my red wines. I'll even even a heavier cab now in the summer. I'll yeah, take yeah. it and just put so it in the I. fridge. Ten if minutes. Yeah, but you say ten minutes. Now I'm serving all my reds in the summer completely chilled. Oh, so wow. in not the just fridge. ten minutes. Yeah, you yeah. leave them in the fridge. Just cold, yeah. cold, cold. Yeah. I mean, these aren't expensive. And no, and they're going to come up to temperature anyway. Yeah, but Alex, <laughs> what, what are they? What's the actual? There's a, there's actually a saying of a time frame. Like, take your red wines out forty minutes before your guests arrive, and put your white wines in forty minutes before they arrive. The notion is people. People chill white wine for too long, so it's so icy cold right, you can't and you taste lose it. all those flavors. No flavor, and then reds are served too warm. So sort of serve whites less cold than you normally would, and reds cooler than you normally would, and then you're you're happy. Yeah, good. Yep. Now, how about dressing? I love duck with an Asian sort of dressing. Oh, yeah, definitely. So what I do is I just put a bunch of things in a bowl together. This is probably not helpful for people who want an exact <laughs> recipe. But I want to give you a feel for this, an outline for this. 
in a bowl, I will put some soy sauce. The high-end version of soy yep. sauce is tamari. So I put some soy sauce or tamari in the bowl, and then I'll throw in some scallions, mm-hmm. and I put in a little bit of toasted sesame oil, okay. and then I put in rice wine vinegar, and I just keep tasting it with a spoon or my finger. Any sugar? Sometimes I do. Mostly I'm adding more rice wine vinegar mm-hmm. to it. Sometimes a squeeze of fresh lime juice because That's there's a like. different yeah. acid that it needs. I'm playing. I play with my Asian dressing. You can, too. And the scallions give it something. If there happened to be a piece of ginger around, I would throw it in. I just am not so fussy about it. If it tastes good on my finger, I think, sure, that'll be good. And I throw it into the salad, toss, 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 put a little on each plate, and then the duck slices over the top. Here's another thing you could do with that duck because it's made in the skillet. How about crisp a dollop of your favorite preserves in the skillet? How would you make an instant pan sauce? So I would take a little like orange marmalade. I was just going to say orange marmalade. marmalade. And again, the pan's not yeah in the same pan after you take the fat out and the duck out, and now you have little bits still on the bottom. So scrape that up. The orange marmalade kind of melts in there. I would make that dressing just like you said, in the pan and just keep mixing it with that orange marmalade till it got thick. And it would be a little stronger because I let it reduce a little bit on a medium heat and it get a little bubbling. And then Mm, I would take the duck, put it on top of the greens and then pour that right on top. (gasps) And the hot dressing sort of wilts the lettuce a little But that same Asian profile with a little bit of sweet, with that little orange sweet from the marmalade, right? And that just... So I would deglaze a pan with a Riesling. Sure, yeah. Get all the like, those beautiful brown bits up. Reduce the Riesling a little bit and then maybe tweak it with salt and pepper. So when Alex is talking about deglazing, if you're not familiar with cooking, he's talking about what we're talking about, pouring a little of this particular wine, his Riesling, into the pan and scraping up the crispy bits. That's called deglazing in the fancy way. If I were to do the Riesling, then I would probably take some berries, right? Mm. Even blueberries, oh, yeah. right? So deglaze with that. And then if you did the cobbler, say, and you had some leftover blueberries in a bowl, I would throw those blueberries in that pan. Crush them a right? little? Crush them a little, leave some whole Blackberries. Yeah, sure. You can go out in the bush behind my backyard. There you go. And then you just finish it with a little cream or butter. I was going to say, Chris, with your pan sauce, when you put in a dollop of the orange marmalade, for Mm. me it would be a lemon marmalade. I would add a pat of butter, even though there has been duck fat in that pan. Pat of butter, maybe a splash of wine, and then just stir a little as it's reducing, and then just that... Butter is a flavoring agent here. It's not meant to add a tremendous amount of fat and then drizzle that over the top makes of it. Makes it silky, too. Yeah. And it's hot in the sauce. And if, mm. if you want the, like, there's certain ingredients that kind of go together like magic. And one, if you're doing a sauce like this, is put soy sauce in the pan, a good splash, and then cracked black pepper and butter. And those three things together on top of duck. Really? Not too bitter? Not too bitter. No, no. Wow. Okay. I'm going to try that. It's just something about those three ingredients together. Yeah. It's one of my go-tos. And now I'm just thinking of a meter. Converts would work. Sweeter profile. That sweeter profile with the spices that you're talking about. It, those Spiciness, two, too. Yeah. It's possible to use these duck slices, not on greens, but to make a sandwich. So you could get, say, Portuguese rolls and put whatever sauce you want on there. You could still use the pan sauces we're talking about and serve these as sandwiches with some greens on them. What a hearty thing to do at a picnic lunch this time of year. I've got an idea. So I would take my duck breasts out. Drain a little of the duck fat, but leave a little. I take a couple tablespoons of flour, dump it into the skillet, and then scrape up all the brown bits, 
Meanwhile, the fat would be cooking the flour a little bit. I'd pour in like a cup of milk or enough milk while whisking to create like a white sauce, salt and pepper. And then I would take slices of white bread and I would put the duck on and then pour that like white gravy over it. Oh, It'd be yeah. like a southern so, style. That's, yeah. that's your southern roots coming through. <laughs> duck my grandmother's, like my, my dad's grandmother's. Yeah. You know. This is like duck and biscuits. The, the duck The duck pepper oh boy. gravy. Oh, that's good. Ooh, that's okay, a good right? idea. A duck. Anthony's a, a got duck, an idea. A duck po' boy. With a crusty exterior mm-hmm. roll. Maybe or... some space-age bourbon glaze. There you go. He's thinking booze. <laughs> but I'm thinking, yeah, no, just a lot of good shredded lettuce yeah. on top. And then I like, uh, yeah, nice remoulade or tartar sauce. Chopped so up it's pickles. a mayonnaise? And... Yeah, pickles, mayonnaise. If you wanted a little sweet, you could put a little ketchup in there or a little tomato paste. That gives it the pink color. Yeah, hit it with Tabasco. a little Tabasco to make mm, it authentic. Yeah. So the yeah. po' boy would usually be oysters and they would have that crispy crust around yes. them inside yep, the fried. sandwich. Yeah. I wonder if... If it's possible to do the oh. duck with a crispy exterior somehow. <laughs> little fried, fried duck, duck little... nuggets. Could you dust the duck with a little flour before you fry or it? Or cornmeal probably better. Yeah, maybe cornmeal. Yeah, make it a little crunchy. Mm. Yeah. And also you can use chestnut flour. Yeah. And you get that in Asian supermarkets. And this is good for people who are gluten-free. And it yeah. does put a crispy exterior on things. It is flavorless. It's absolutely yeah. wonderful. I like it when we brainstorm like mm-hmm. this because I think this is an example of what uh, people who love food like to do. We all get afraid and we think, oh, chefs do this. Regular people don't. You can play like this. You might make a mistake. It doesn't matter. That's the cool thing about a recipe like that and doing the duck in the pan, you know, getting it cooked. And then once it comes out of the pan, there's so many things you can do with it. You know, like even Alex leaving a little bit of fat in the pan and then taking potatoes, whatever potato you have, take it in there, chop it up, put it in that duck fat and start cooking it down in that duck fat on a very like medium low so they don't get too crispy. And then once they get soft enough, start smashing them with a little salt and pepper and then incorporate that. Duck, duck fat. fat into the potatoes, and then you could, you know, slice the duck, put it on top of that. Is that and almost... then, with your, then with your bechamel sauce, your white sauce, yeah. Wait, right? Well, then we're so, talking. Is but that it, almost it's... like those melting potatoes we did last year? It's almost year? like those melting potatoes, but with duck fat, and you mash them a little. When it's super hot, you're not so attracted sometimes to a pile of potatoes on your plate. Why is that? I mean, do it all summer long. I, I take my potatoes. go-to and this is for this one's for Alex. You ready? My go-to potato in the summer is I cook some potatoes just in, you know, bubbling water, just very low till they're soft. And then I take a pan, I take my potatoes, dump them in a colander. And as they're cooling a little bit, I take a pan on the stove and I put in one onion chopped up and some chorizo sausage. Mm. Say it the right way. Mm. Mm. Chorizo. Chorizo sausage. (laughs) Chopped up chorizo sausage. And then when my potatoes are just cool enough to touch, right? Not cold, but just cool enough to touch. I chop them up real rough, and then I take that chorizo and onion mix. I throw it in there, mix in some good red wine vinegar mm. and some scallions or chives or something, and mix that, and that is my summer potato salad. Oof, wow. Oof. That's so it's good, Chris. It's addictive. That is I don't good. care. You could put... It's addictive. I'll eat anything with chorizo in it. Yeah, and it's we're, incredible. we're all talking so, about the Palacios brand that comes in mild or it comes in hot. It's best to pay attention to the yeah. label on the package. Yeah. In eggs, it's stunning. Oh, oh, Absolutely yeah. well, stunning. And this is, this is so, for me, I don't know why, I tend to do it in the summer more because in the summer I have one of those backyard paella cookers. 
I also do like twice the amount of vegetables as most people do. Oh, I want to hear about yeah. that. Okay, this is uh, heavy on the vegetables paella coming up. And I'm also going to ask our cocktail contributor, Anthony DeSario, what he likes best to drink during the summer or whether he revolves from cocktail to cocktail to cocktail. Is it more fun <laughs> to keep changing or to do your go-to classics, your absolute favorites? We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week and to find terrific food, wine, cocktails, restaurants, hot topics, our short fun, streaming videos, and recipes we feature. We are always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. This is the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, and the Hamptons. The senior producer is Robin Doyen Aiken, and to hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts of the show and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. Talk with us on Facebook, too. We love having conversations with you there. Search Faith Middleton on Facebook. I'm with... Anthony DeSario, our cocktail guy, Chris Prosperi of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province. Anthony, before we get to here's what we decided during this break. We need to tell everybody and learn ourselves in this room from these experts over here who make paella how to do it without all the muss and fuss. So they're going to tell us the easy way to do it, even if you don't have a paella pan. First, Anthony DeSario, yes. as a bartender, how do you do cocktails in the summer for yourself? Do you go with the same classic because it's summer and you just tend to want that, or do you keep switching it up? You know, I'm still a classic gin and tonic kind of guy. You know, mm -hmm. I really like to do my one-to-ones. I really like to use Prosecco in my cocktails in the summertime. I just like to keep things cold and easy. Good for you, because we're not doing mixology school yeah. <laughs> at home. We're just hot. trying to make something delicious. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, yeah. My go-to would definitely be like a margarita, because that's great all year round, as long as you're using fresh juices. Summertime, there's so many fresh things available you, you, When for you us. say fresh juices, you mean like not fresh the mix. Lime. No, yeah, no yeah, mix. Nothing out of a bottle. It takes nothing to buy you know, a half a dozen limes and just have some nice fresh lime juice around the house. What's an inexpensive tequila that's not bad for me, because it's... 
you know, it's junk. What's the least expensive one that would pass muster? I will always say Patron Silver. You're, you're an ambassador I'm for I'm an Patron. ambassador for Patron, and I've seen how it's made. I've been down there to Guadalajara, Jalisco, and I've seen the entire process. I, I know it's the real deal. You're getting what you pay for. You're getting that quality well, is out there, there. But let me push you on this a little bit. Is there a less expensive one than Patron oh, yes. that is yeah. real? The rule for tequila is just make sure the bottle says 100% agave, meaning that it's not blended with anything else. Everything in that bottle is from the agave plant, so it is tequila. Okay. So, so the rule is 100%. 100% agave, whatever your wallet can afford, and you're going to have the See, best like margarita that. that you can have. I like that. Across the board. So I keep it so simple. I just do fresh lime juice and fresh orange juice, yep. and I don't even worry about any simple syrup. I just keep yep. it very acidy and fresh yep. so I can still taste the tequila. And, and that's the way it was originally made. When the first margaritas were made, it was fresh lime juice, just a little bit of sugar, and tequila. Well, what would you add to mine? Well, this time of year, I would use something that would play on those flavors. Like, I would maybe take the orange juice out and maybe do, like, some fresh cucumber, a little bit of grapefruit instead of orange, and maybe add, like, a little honey. Oh, honey. Okay. I really love at this time of year that grapefruit-honey combination. I'm thinking about the softness of Meyer lemon. Oh, yes. And so that would be interesting. Have you ever had a a margarita uh, with Meyer lemon in it? So really, it's a citrus margarita because I've got orange and And, Meyer lemon and now Oh, yeah. We're on to something now. Are we on to something? A little splash of grapefruit bitters in there and we're good to go. (gasps) Grapefruit bitters. Grapefruit bitters. I feel like the guy out of water here. Can I run my... uh, margarita by yeah, you go and, ahead. and don't no. yell at me. No embarrassment. All right, so my, my go-to summer margarita is I take two scoops of sorbet. I like passion fruit or nice. blood orange sorbet, and I put that, and I have a burr mixer, you know, the little stick blender. I don't even measure. I just put my tequila in. I do use triple sec, so a little bit of that in, and then I just put the thing at the, the bottom, and yep. I go, yep. and I put it in a glass. Frozen, <laughs> no, right? You've yeah, got, you I'm a frozen margarita. Yeah, but that's, that's, yeah, that's perfect right? for that this. Okay? time of year. Yeah. Absolutely. That is got- totally fun. <laughs> See, well, the thing about the perfect cocktail <laughs> come is... Come to your party. <laughs> yeah. The, the perfect drink is the one that you want, not the one that I want to give you. So yeah, no, me, it's pure laziness. And, and it's, but are you happy with it? Love Does it, it put a Christmas smile on your face at the end good. of the day? Then it's a great <laughs> cocktail. It. All right. We're going to switch gears now because it, you were maybe scared of doing tenderloin on the grill. We told you how easy it is to do that. Duck breast, a little bit afraid of that. How to do that. These guys have been talking about paella, and I'm nervous about <laughs> doing paella, and they're going to make this easy for all of us. You don't even have to have a paella pan. If you don't have one, because they cost around $60, or you haven't gotten one as a gift, can we still make paella, and what should we use? I use a cast iron pan or a heavy bottom stainless steel pan. You want it to be wide and flat. So what do you think, an inch and a half, two inches Tall on the rim and as wide as you got. A big cast iron skillet, right? That you get at the hardware store. A lodge makes a ton of them. So first, let's define though what paella is. So Mm -hmm. you're cooking rice. That's what paella is. So anyone who's cooked white rice on their stove essentially is cooking the fundamental 99% of what paella is. Rice 101. That's That's all it it is. And the reason it's a big flat pan is so that the broth can evaporate. So if you simplify it to, I have a flat pan. I put rice in it, and then I use a flavored broth, and I cook it. You've made a paella. So the second component, what kind of rice are you using? You're using a rice that wants to absorb lots of liquid. 
if you go to Spain and you use Spanish rice, it mm -hmm. absorbs three times the amount of liquid that regular rice does, which means when you eat the rice, it tastes like the broth. Whatever it's, it's absorbed. absorbed. That's okay. So what kind that. of rice are so we talking if, about? If you so can find Spanish rice, number one, good. and if you're going to make your run for chorizo as well, then I go to Casa de Sol in Hartford because they sell everything. But if you're going to use rice from the supermarket, then I use Arborio. Arborio. Yeah. If you go and you look for Calros, Calros is a medium grain rice yeah. from Cal. California, it works beautifully. I get it at Whole Foods for $2 for How a huge bag. How do you spell bag. that? C-A-L-R-O-S-E. It's a brown bag. Cal Rose. Okay. Oh, they sell it everywhere. They really Just do. Just medium grain, and it, yeah. it works beautifully for paella. That's good. Okay, how do we start? Buy a stock or yeah. make a stock. What On kind? doesn't matter. Chicken stock works beautifully well. If you're a pescatarian, you can use a fish stock, and you can certainly use a vegetable stock. And I'll give you the cheater's version. Clam juice in the bottle yep. and yep. mix it 50-50 with water because you're going to reduce some, so you don't want it so strong. Yep. And I do the same thing with chicken broth or vegetable stock, whatever I'm going to buy in the box or the can. I mix 50% with water. You're going to start with a grill outside, and you're going to put your paella pan on it, and you're going to put a little olive oil. If you're using chicken, you're going to salt and pepper the chicken, and you're going to start cooking the chicken in the pan. In the oil. In the oil. It's going to get hot. Are we you're just browning it? Yeah. yeah, but not cooking all the way through. Nope. You can throw some onions in. Yep. You can throw I've whatever vegetables peppers, you want. Celery, Red peppers. Yeah. You can throw a couple of tomatoes in. Sure. And now you're just starting to mix this stuff around, some green peppers, salt, pepper, mm -hmm. and now you're making what Spaniards call a sofrito. This is where I add my chorizo. Yes. <laughs> if you had chorizo, you would add it and it renders out. Okay, so yep. now you have this big sort of, you're cooking like you're cooking in a wok on your... So you've got vegetables and chicken. Yep. yep. And everything's sort of is cooking. Is this chicken bone in and could, skin on? We love thighs. Could be anything. I mean, this is, is the Is the skin on or off? I like the skin, but it also can make it too fatty. Your Preference. Call. Very good. These Once, are all preference calls. So right? you have this big mound of stuff that you're cooking like you're cooking on a wok. You're simply going to take your spatula and push all the ingredients to the edge of the pan so that the center of the pan is free. And then you're going to add your rice without any liquid right to the center of the pan. And you're going to start moving it around until oh. the rice goes transparent. This is just like making risotto. Oh, wow. This is rice in a dry well, area of the pan? But, or, but it's but really got there. some oil yeah, in it. It's getting coated with oil. Oh, yeah, it's it turning red going, if the chorizo's in there. starts going transparent and yeah. is beginning to cook. Okay. Yeah. Now you're going to take your hot stock and yeah. you're going to add three parts stock. Per one part rice. Now take all the ingredients that were on the edge of the pan and the rice that's in the middle, mix it so it's all incorporated. So it's all sitting in liquid. Uh, and I'd like to add, this is the only measurement needed. So if you're using a cup of the rice... Three, Three cups, cups of, of liquid. And the other thing you have to do to make this easy is know the size of your pants. Measure it ahead well, of time. Why do I it. care about this? Because you don't want to add too much rice to the pan. This is where people get into trouble where it starts blowing over the sides, right? Oh. If you add too much. So you have to know your know, vessel. You're scaring me now. No, all you have to do is take a pitcher that you know is a quart. Everyone has a quart pitcher. Take the water and pour it in the pan until it's filled and it's, marked down. Yes, oh, this but you is told me I might have too much rice in there. But because you need to know how much at the end that you end up. Well, just think of it as if you're making rice indoors in a saucepan. If you fill the thing up full of rice, we and now just you're do like, what the now box I need... tells us. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, That's so now problem. I'm right with you. Once you <laughs> have added the broth and you've stirred everything once, you walk away. Yep. The rice will cook in 20 minutes. There's yep. no more stirring. There's no more futzing around or and moving do, stuff and around. And I've tried this. Do what he says. In 20 minutes, Walk the rice away. will be cooked. <laughs> and 
and it'll be absolutely perfect. You're going to take it off the grill, and you're going to cover it with tin foil, and you're going to let it rest for 10 or 20 minutes. And now the rice will continue mm. to sort of absorb all the flavor mm. and, and fluff up. And, and if you've done incredible. this right, as you're cooking it, it gets a nice layer of browned Ooh. rice on the bottom, Ooh. like crispy Ooh. rice. Ooh. And as it sits, it pulls off the bottom. How do you know it's done? Because the rice will yeah. cook in 20 minutes, That's scientifically. It. Done. But then how does the crispy part get there? Off the bottom of the pan. The last like two or three minutes, yeah. you know, when the rice, all the liquid oh. has evaporated, mm. now you're just gently toasting so the bottom. So this explains why that minutes. one number is so important, the three to one. Three if to you've one. added too much liquid, mm. it won't evaporate mm-hmm. in, in the 20 minutes. But mm-hmm. it, So if you've done it right, three to one, mm-hmm. you're all set. Is that a traditional paella? Because I've seen it done with seafood before, like a lot of shellfish, and especially this time of year. So you have a mountain paella that's mostly meat, a fish paella that's marisco, or a mixta that's both. If you're going to add fish, fish cooks a lot quicker than chicken does. So at the last, say, few minutes, you're adding your shrimp or you're adding your pieces of fish just long enough so that they cook. It's like a quick post. So so you put those on, like, the finish. Last five, ten minutes. And I foil over it. So when I'm doing just meat, I do what he says, and I foil when I bring Mm -hmm. it to the table. If I'm doing fish, at the last couple of minutes, I put the fish in and the shrimp, and then I foil over the top of it, and it kind of steams in there. So so this thing that we're describing is that Latin American tradition of mixing fish with meat. In other words, fish with pork, because there could be sausage in this paella. It's all mixed together in in terms of this. Now, Chris, you said that you like to boost up the vegetables instead of making it predominantly rice. Yes. I'm like you. I get caught in that trap where I like to eat a lot of this. And I find if it has a lot of fish in it and a lot of vegetables in it, I can eat a lot and I don't feel so bloated after eating, you know, four cups of rice. So I will make sure, like if I was going to make it the same one Alex was and say Alex used uh, two cups of rice – Right Mm -hmm. to make that full pan of paella, I would cut it down to one cup of rice, and I would double the amount of vegetables I use. What would you say is the best paella you've ever had? Is is anyone who's had it? I I know who mine is. It has to have a couple things. One is the cured chorizo. Yeah, and then two, I like a little pinch of saffron in mine, and Mm. I'm all about Mm. the seafood. The the saffron goes into the broth. Alex made a paella, and this is a hundred years ago now, probably, and he made it the night before, and then he brought it in, and it was still a great paella. Mm. So I join you with to say that the best paella I've ever had was in Alex and Matt's kitchen, (laughs) and I came for what I thought was a quick dinner, and I looked down, and he somehow effortlessly threw this together, and I could not stop eating it. The flavor, the intensity of the flavor in this thing was addictive. It was so incredible. I don't know what in the world you put in there. Mm. So that's a problem when you make these things without writing it down. (laughs) All right, here we go. This is so much fun. You've gotten me so excited about paella because now I want to experiment with flavors and what happens if I add flavors that I really love. I don't know what that might be, but the wheels are turning in my head. And if you're listening at home, you can make your version of paella. So we'll have to report with each other as time goes on. Thank you all so much. We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon, weekdays. Hear my 60-second food schmoozes. Join the conversation with us. We're always up for a good time online at foodschmooze.org. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Everybody eats when they come to mind. 
Hey, don't want the party to end? Well, neither do we. Talk with us anytime online at foodschmooze.org.